0: Welcome to Divorce Dialogues, I'm Katherine Miller, I'm the founder at the Miller Law Group and director at the Center for Understanding and Conflict, and I am on a mission to change how people divorce and help them divorce with dignity, and I'm excited today that my guest is Alexis Sorrell. Alexis Sorrell is a family law attorney at Warshaw Burstein Fertility Law Group and a recognized leader in the quickly evolving area of reproductive family law. She was instrumental in the recent passage of the Child Parent Security Act, which protects families formed through assisted reproduction. Welcome, Alexis. It is a pleasure to have you on the show.
1: Thank you so much. Pleasure to be here.
0: We've been doing a couple of shows lately on the surrogacy and family creation and, and what that means and how it's evolving in New York State. And, you know, honestly, I'm sure it's evolving around the world as technology evolves and our laws catch up to them. But could you give us just a sort of brief description of what a surrogacy relationship is and how it forms?
1: Sure, absolutely.
0: Let me just give you a little
1: background in terms of why, as you say, it's so relevant here in New York now. Um, before the recent law passed, which was just last month in February, New York was one of only two states in the whole country that um, prohibited gestational surrogacy, compensated gestational surrogacy. And and I'll tell you what that means in one second. So this has been a real push by um, those of us who have been trying to change the law for years now. And finally, we've brought New York into the modern world in terms of recognizing family formation through assisted reproduction. And the law that we were able to pass with the help of the governor's office and others really is... What's being called in the world of assisted reproductive technology, the gold standard. And it's the gold standard because of the many, many protections, statutory protections that it puts in place for all the participants in these arrangements. So what is the arrangement? Gestational surrogacy is really an arrangement in which a woman who, you know, we refer to as the surrogate or the person acting as surrogate, enters into an agreement to become pregnant with and give birth to a child to whom she has no genetic connection. And the intent is that someone else, and we call those someone else as the intended parents, will be the legal parents of the child. When we talk about gestational surrogacy, which is what we just talked about, that's the component of having no genetic connection. So the surrogate cannot be biologically related to the child that continues to be prohibited, but where through IVF and other, you know, medical intervention, you can achieve a pregnancy in a third party needing the surrogate with the genetic material of the intended parents, that's gestational surrogacy.
0: All right. So what is the relationship then between the surrogate and the intended parents? Do they usually know each other or they don't or that's all over the place or... You know, is there any legal relationship between them? How does that work? That's a
1: great question, and that's something that I'm really working on, trying to educate other lawmakers and judges and attorneys in New York on, because for so long surrogacy was outlawed here and kind of taboo that I think people kind of fear it now, don't understand the relationship, don't understand why intended parents, on the one hand, would trust somebody (laughs) in this way and don't understand why surrogates, on the other hand, would want to do this for anything other than economic reasons. And really, it's like an experiment in, in humanity when you really dive into it, because all of the research has shown, and there's been a lot of it, that the women who choose to do this are really doing it with the economic component as a secondary motivator. They are women who have had healthy and enjoyable pregnancies in the past and really want to help other families grow who couldn't grow without their assistance. It's a mutual leap of faith. There's no question about that, but it's really a very special relationship that forms. In terms of how they meet, usually it is through, in other states, they call them agencies. Here in New York, we call them matching programs. So, you know, you think about it like almost like matchmaker, but they're regulated programs that recruit women who are looking to be surrogates. And then intended parents are referred to these programs by either attorneys or their IVF doctors. And then they go into like a pool of, you know, matchmaking where you see different descriptors of potential candidates on both sides and surrogate can choose if it's intended parent or parents she wants to work with and vice versa. And there's a whole battery of background screening and introductions and meeting each other that takes place so that, you know, when the parties really do decide that they want to move forward with the arrangement, they've already gotten to know each other. Well, they've already been in joint counseling sessions talking about fears, concerns, hopes, demands, etc. So it, It's a long process before you even get to the point of trying to achieve a pregnancy. And then thereafter, it becomes a very, very special and trusting relationship. Of course, nothing is ever perfect, but it's much more collaborative than polarized. I'll put it that way.
0: Yeah, That's so interesting because I never really thought about that before. But obviously, the relationship and a surrogacy, unlike an adoption, say, is is lengthy and and includes the entire pregnancy, right? The idea of it, the meeting of each other, the biology of it, right? That all of that, there'd be this team of people working together to achieve something for all of them that would last potentially a really long time. Absolutely right. And without getting into too many of
1: the nitty-gritty details of the statute, but the way the law is structured, it really does build in ongoing protections for the relationship to make sure that it thrives throughout the process. So, for example, you know, one of the requirements of our new law in New York is that both the surrogate on the one hand and her spouse or partner, if she has one, and the intended parents on the other have independent counsel throughout the whole process. And what does that mean throughout the whole process? Well, the, the law specifies it has to be from contract negotiation, you know, the surrogacy agreement, through the period of the contract, meaning throughout the entire pregnancy, and then 12 months thereafter because there are ongoing obligations to cover health insurance, for example, thereafter. So built in is this team of support, this scaffolding network to help support the relationship if there are issues. And psychological counselors who the parties have worked with when they first meet who are still available to mediate any issues if they come up throughout the pregnancy so, you know, there, like you said, there's a team of support there. As each milestone happens throughout the pregnancy, you see these people really becoming family with one another. It's really a beautiful thing to think about and I'm really trying and hoping that other practitioners will not be so scared of it because I know it's, people are kind of afraid of the concept right now, but when it's done right, it's, it's miraculous.
0: You know, I think it's really interesting, Alexis Sorel, that you're talking about the fear that other, you know, professionals you're talking about, right? Like lawyers, yeah. like us, yeah. right? And, and some yeah. of the things, even though this is divorce dialogues and, you know, I say at the beginning of the show that I'm on a mission to change a people divorce, we've recently opened a department on reproductive rights and family formation. And it's such an exciting thing to be part of creating something in the first place. And seeing how these laws evolve in New York, that I am really looking forward to to seeing how that develops. And before we go on, I just want to remind people that they're listening to Divorce Dialogues. We're here on WBOX 1460 AM in Westchester County every other Wednesday from 5 to 530. And we're also available as a podcast wherever you listen to podcasts or on the podcast website, DivorceDialogues.com. And I'm talking today with Alexis Sorrell about surrogacy agreements and how they've changed in New York or even just been allowed in New York recently and and what that means for the family and what family means under these circumstances. And so I don't want to get too deep into the sausage factory, Alexis, but what are the ideas that go into surrogacy agreements and what's required in order to establish that kind of arrangement between people?
1: Right. Well, you can imagine, you know, look, I'm a matrimonial attorney. Too, right. So I think about it in terms of divorce agreements, right? And, and we know as, as matrimonial attorneys, you kind of start to be able to pick out the provisions that are seen in every one so that there are some that are just presumptively going to be in there all the time. And then there are some where, you know, you can tailor them to the party's specific demands and negotiated, obli- you know, rights and obligations. And then there are some that fall into the category of statutorily mandated, like a CSSA recitation, right? So the same thing applies here. The statute is very specific about certain bare minimum, and I shouldn't even say minimum because they're extensive, but you know, certain required provisions that have to be in there. I'll give you just a few examples, like you said, not to get too deep in it, but there are provisions that require, for example, that the surrogate maintain complete autonomy to be able to make all medical decisions for her health and welfare. There is a provision that the intended parents must secure and pay for comprehensive medical insurance for the surrogate throughout the duration of the pregnancy and for 12 months thereafter. There are provisions that say that the obligations of the intended parents are not assignable. and. A little bit about that if you want later, because that may play into some divorce considerations in real life. So these are the, you know, the required, and they're much more extensive than this. It goes on and on, but right. So there are the required ones, required ones. So you look at the agreement and you check those off. Okay. It complies. It's enforceable. But then you get to the, what are some of the negotiated provisions? What are the things that people do in other states where surrogacy is practiced? And not stuff like You know, you can codify intent about what are some of the lifestyle restrictions that she may agree to abide by during the pregnancy. And sometimes you see that as, you know, she, she agrees not to travel out of state during the last trimester because you want to make sure that, you know, she gives birth in the state of the laws that govern the contract, for example. So just to give you an, you know, a a taste of there's, it can go from minutia to major and they end up being like 60 page documents like you can imagine um, a divorce agreement and even more so you talk about things like what's the party's intent if god forbid there are genetic screening results that come back in the first trimester that shows you know some abnormality and then there's a decision to make about continuing a pregnancy and again you know it it's her the surrogates final call in terms of her health and welfare and what to do with her body, but these are all things that are kind of documented in the agreement to establish what are are people's intentions at the outset.
0: Right, so it sounds like what you're saying is that there is a bunch of things that you need to have, and it's got to be the same way in every single contract, and that, that all parties must abide by those things that are in the statute and required by the government in order to make the Contract, an enforceable contract. That's one thing. Is that right? Correct. Correct. And then there are some other things that are kind of negotiable, right? That this, w- right. that makes this agreement customized to this particular family situation and that an attorney or counselor can guide people to thinking about what those things might be like you were just talking about. The last trimester thing, you know, you might not think about that if you hadn't been through this before or had experience in this until you got there. Then, you know, you're, you're two thirds the way or three quarters of the way through the pregnancy and she wants to go to Maine, totally making that up. (laughs) She's in her family and the intended parents are, wait a second, what have happened if, 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 you know, she gets birthed in Maine and the laws are totally different. They may not be. I have no idea, but just as as an example are, you know, and and so there might be some concerns about flying in the last trimester just because of what could happen or or things like that that may or may not be a concern for for different people in different situations and that those are really customizable to the people involved. Is that right? That's
1: exactly right. That's exactly right. And, you know, like big surprise, right? A big subject that can be negotiated is when you're talking about the compensation piece, you see trends about in the country, what surrogates negotiate and get for a base compensation. But, you know, that doesn't include the the statutory requirements that insurance is paid for by the intended parents. All medical expenses are reimbursed, you know, above and beyond that you can negotiate other things. So for example, I know in our state, we have a provision that if, if she requests disability insurance, the intended parents have to pay for it. But, They could, instead of that, negotiate that the intended parents will agree to pay some amount in lost wages, for example, if she goes on bed rest, or what if she needs to hire additional child care for her own children because she's on bed rest? You know, those are some of the other types of
0: nuanced things that you can negotiate. I think that's really useful. And, and is that the kind of thing that the agency, or I know we don't call them that, the, the, but, but you know what I'm talking about. The, yeah, the matching program, through, yeah. right. The matching program can help with that. Are there websites or anything where people could think through some of those questions, or is this really uh, relying on lawyers to help people think it through?
1: You know, I think it's both. The agencies or matching programs, they really are a holistic place, and they they talk to you about things like, you know, who are the maybe possibly good insurance carriers that have favorable policies for these types of arrangements. They can help locate escrow agents because the intended parents have to place the compensation in escrow. These are people who live and breathe surrogacy all day, every day, and they do help facilitate those conversations. And I think in the original, you know, screening application process on both ends, usually those questions are asked. Would this be something you would want to ask for in a contract? Would this be something you would agree to do? Those types of things. And then again, once you get to the medicine part, you know, you have these comprehensive screening and informed consent sessions with the medical providers, and then with the mental health providers. And so by the time you get to the lawyer, a lot of these are familiar topics. But, you know, everybody, sometimes you think of things. I look at divorce agreements that I did like five years ago, and I'm like, well, how come I didn't include this in the event? As the practice evolves, you think more of more and more things. So I think that's the way it'll unfold. But there are governing bodies. So, for example, there's the ASRM, which is the American Society of Reproductive Medicine, and, and they that governs assisted reproductive technology medical providers and they issue patient materials, guidelines for lawyers, guidelines for doctors, et cetera. So there's a lot of information out there.
0: All right. That sounds great. I wanted to remind people that I'm Catherine Miller and you're listening to Divorce Dialogues. We're here on WVOX 1460 AM every other Wednesday from 5 to 530 and also available as a podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And I'm talking today with Alexis Sorrell about surrogacy. And Alexis, if people have more questions for you or want to get in contact with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Absolutely.
1: I can give you my email address. In COVID days, I'm so used to giving out my cell phone, but maybe that's not the best <laughs> idea. I think but let's I am, stick with the email address. Yeah, I'll give you the email address and just know that I'm a, a very accessible person beyond that. And so the email is a acirel, A-C-I-R-E-L, at W, like water, B, like boy, N, like Nancy, Y, like yellow, dot com.
0: Thank you so much. And so, you know, in our last segment here, what are some of the pitfalls or risks or challenges to the surrogacy arrangement? And we talked before what happens if the intended parents become parents and later get divorced. You know, what are some of those things that you think people should know about and consider as part of this decision? Great question. I think about it
1: all the time because I think about it with my matrimonial lawyer hat on and the assisted reproductive technologies hat on. You know, what you have to know is that in New York and other states, but in New York let's focus there, intended parents who enter into a surrogacy agreement together, they should know that those the the obligations are not assignable. The the statute is clear. So you can't halfway through a pregnancy, if you're in the middle of a divorce, one of you Step out and absolve yourself of ongoing financial obligations under the contract, for example, or or parental obligations when the child is born. That is not something that you can do. And I can imagine that, and I've seen this before. Actually, you know, it's a, it's a stressful process. It's beautiful. It's stressful at the same time, though. And so, if intended parents who were happily pursuing. Parenthood in month one of the pregnancy are no longer wanting to stay together by month nine contractually and in terms of legal obligations to be a parent, there's, there's nothing to do. But on the flip side, there are provisions in our law that allow spouses to enter into surrogacy agreements singly if they've been living separate and apart from their spouse for three years or pursuant to a separation agreement or a divorce agreement. So, you know, I could I could see where there may be an issue if there's a long, drawn-out separation between spouses and there's a divorce, an impending divorce, but you don't want it to hold up your pursuit of building a family. There are ways to do that. Just have to be mindful that the statute is very prescriptive and should always, always consult with, um, you know, a fertility lawyer who knows what the risks and rewards are.
0: Well, Alexis, with your sort of dual hats that you wear, you know, between matrimonial law and working in this area, do you think this is a process that's stressful on marriages? You know,
1: I think the answer to that is is definitely yes. It's not without its rewards, like I said, but it's a very, very expensive process. It is arduous in terms of the medicine and, and the fertility treatments that go into it beforehand, if you are the intended mother and you're using your own genetic material, that means you're doing IVF. And so those things alone can take a toll on couples and, you know, financial stress, hormonal stress, medicine, doctors. And then you add into it this whole additional layer of logistics and this having to abdicate control and trust somebody else so completely. It's a high tension time. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, you know, I'm hoping I'm hopeful that it can also bring people together, whereas in a, you know, in a heterosexual married couple relationship, many times the wife is the patient and, you know, experiencing whatever she's experiencing physically with the pregnancy. And that's, I'm sure, a strain, too. So here, you know, the beauty of it is the wife isn't necessarily feeling those types of ongoing physical ailments and maybe the absence of that takes the pressure off a of marriage who knows how it'll how it'll manifest itself but i think that the short answer is when you're spending a lot of money to do something and putting a lot of mental emotional energy into something it it can always increase the odds right
0: yeah absolutely and you know we only have another minute or so here but what do you think about how it compares to adoption in terms of stresses and and, and things like that i mean i've been involved with adoptions as an attorney where the biological mother changed her mind after the child was born and, and the litigation that comes from that. And, and so it seems like that it might be more or maybe less stressful. What What is your thinking about
1: yeah, that? Yeah, you know, it's uh, adoption is conceptually so different to me because I've thought about this for so long. I understand why for other people it might not be. But, you know, it's conceptually very different to me in, in that, you know, adoption is not planned um, this is a planned conception. You know, adoption is uh, creating a legal parent-child relationship. Uh, uh, surrogacy is, is really just confirming it. Um, so it's hard for me to think about those two things as conceptually the same. But in terms of the stress level that it causes people, probably, you know, probably the same, just in different ways. You know, I think that the... Um, distributed differently at different times throughout the pregnancy probably there is no opportunity for the surrogate to change her mind so that is
0: not a factor here Yeah, Alexis Sorrell. thank you so much for being my guest on Divorce Dialogue it's been a fascinating conversation thank you, thank you happy to talk